Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's really a pleasure today, and I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little bit intimidated by my guest, who I have a whole lot of respect for, but also I know is uh, one of the, the seniors of this community who knows the community so well. So he's going to call me on my nonsense or anything I say. That's not true, but that's exactly why we love him. Uh, I'm here today with John Davies, who's the owner and founder of Davies Public Affairs and Blaze PR. John, how are you? I'm great. What a fun, what a fun way to start a day. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, you and I go back almost 20 years, um, you know, and when I was a young reporter at the news press and writing a whole bunch of stories that you were uh, paying attention to and giving some feedback when necessary. And I think over the years, I've wore you down a little bit. I think, you know, you've developed a little bit of a better uh, perception of me and my skills. <laughs> and um, I've gotten to better understand you as well. And that's that's part of life, right? Getting to right. know each other better and learning learning each other's uh, strengths, weaknesses, and ultimately Indeed. supporting each other. So I really appreciate you, John, taking the time. You are the kingpin of public affairs, not only in Santa Barbara County, but really nationally. You have this national reputation as being the one of the top powerhouses of public affairs. And I'll let you talk about that in a second. But just I want to I want to talk to you a little bit today about what you do. But in the context of where we originally met, which was 20 years ago, talking about Santa Barbara County politics and Santa Barbara County politics is, uh, you know, we're run by Democrats and Democrats hold most of the seats here. But we're going to talk today about I want to ask you about conservatives and conservative power and, and why do we sort of see similar things happening locally year after year, even if nationally you have, you know, a whole era of uh, conservatives, you know, running things nationally, why locally we don't really see that, but are we starting to see a little bit of a switch? So I want to just kind of open up to you, John, and, and sort of, you know, talk to me a little bit about Davies Public Affairs and, and Blaze PR and what you do, and let's dive into politics in Santa Barbara County. Great. I look forward to diving in. I know 20 years ago, we did we did bump in when actually things were sort of interesting and competitive here. Oh. And, uh, you know, some way, way along the line today, we can talk about why I don't do candidate campaigns anymore. <laughs> but that happened about 25 years ago. Yeah. But and, and, you know, the deal is a, a, a mentor and really good friend years ago said sometimes with reporters and others, you got to kick a little dirt under their shoes like you do with an umpire in a baseball game. And so, you know, we've, we, we've learned over time that, you know, when you think things aren't going well, you can't say, yeah, that's fine. That's a great story. You got to push back a little bit. And you probably uh, notice that once or twice. I've noticed it once or twice. I've been called into a few executive offices. <laughs> I know. Well, I don't call it in. I will, I will, I will, I will uh, have a conversation with it, but I, I do love watching uh, how you've matured, how you've done things. You're, I mean, what I what I see, Josh, that's so cool is you're really a dedicated family man. Your your focus is raising your two kids, being a good husband, and that's that's awesome. You know, you're you're uh, taking on numerous jobs. You're doing this. This is a great idea. Someone in Santa Barbara needed to do this, and I love that you're doing it. And I, I see big things for it. And and you're writing at Newshawk, writing other places, and also teaching. I mean, it's, this is Santa Barbara. You got to you got to sort of figure out a way to make it all happen to stay here, and you've done it. So. You should you should really be proud. A lot of people have not been able to figure out they're not that industrious. So uh, so Davies Public Affairs, we you know we started here 
uh, you know, a long time ago, I, I uh, helped with Jack O'Connell's campaign. I was the local guy and I had a small uh, design advertising firm that I sold to my partner right after Jack's campaign and I opened the doors and it was called something else, but uh, it was called Babies Communications. And, and, and we did projects here. It was, you know, we muddled along, I screwed up a lot and uh, we grew, brought in really good people worked with great people and, and we started looking outside the region. My deal is, do I really want to have my entire life based on who I know in city hall and the county county office building? And my, my answer was a resoundingly no. I, I wanted to do public affairs. I wanted to do the communication side. I wanted to do the persuasion side. I didn't want to be a lobbyist. I left that to others. And so that means we had to go look elsewhere. So we did more in the region, we did more in the state. And then we uh, establish a, a national footprint and do selected projects in selected industries around the nation. We work a lot in energy. We work with uh, solar and wind developers all over the country. Right now we're doing projects in Florida, Arizona, California even, uh, Indiana, Mississippi. I mean, it's sort of crazy the places we're doing and we've done projects Illinois, all over in, with wind and solar. It's crazy business. And then we work with natural gas utilities around the country. We have about 15 states where we represent the natural gas utility going through issues. And then we work with developers and we work with developers uh, mostly in California. And uh, in the last decade, a lot in San Diego, we did four of the biggest projects in the history of San Diego, which has been great. I love San Diego, so it's been great to go there. And then Blaze PR is a consumer PR firm, totally different format, different people, different field, different game. It's such a relief, relief to be able to go see something totally different. And I have a, a great team there. I have a great president and uh, he's, he's a rock star in the industry and is really doing a great job running that. And I get to go in and uh, play and motivate and mentor a bunch of those folks. So that's, that's, that's uh, the companies in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. And that you were able to start small, transition, be visionary and find uh, a clientele for obviously an industry that we're all super dependent on. We all yeah. need, we all have our opinions on, but every one of us uh, every day has to talk, has to feel, you know, what it's like to put gas in your car. Or, you know, if you don't have a car, you still see, you know, that it's something that is affecting all of us, the cost of energy. We're not going to talk too much about that. That's not my expertise. Please, please, please <laughs> um, But what I want to talk to you about is, you know, you've, you've represented a lot of uh, clients and you're still, even though you don't do a lot of stuff locally on campaigns, you're super knowledgeable. And I know that people turn to you, even if it's just sort of, Hey, let's have a conversation. Uh, can you be my confidant, my informal advisor, bounce things off of you. So I know you're deeply in the know, you know, I've spent a lot of ink over the years on the democratic party in Santa Barbara County. And there's a reason for that. They, they, they organize well or historically have organized well they have a lot of volunteers. We're tied to the university. There's a lot of activism that goes on. And so there's a lot of stories. Oh, the party endorses this person, endorses that person. And we'll talk more deeper about them in a second. But conservative power in Santa Barbara County is a little bit different <laughs> than Democrat power. And part of that is 
party registration. We know there are more Democrats, certainly in the South Coast, in the county. Uh, we have more conservatives. The big question I always have is how do conservatives do a better job of organizing future leaders, future people to run for these seats. Nothing against Mike Stoker, okay? But Mike Stoker is challenging Greg Hart for assembly. And Mike Stoker's been around a long, long time. Is there not somebody else who could have been groomed for a seat like this? Um, what What's going on, John, with conservative power in Santa Barbara County? Well, so we live in a county that's uh, 18 to 20% advantage for Democrats. And, and when you have that, it, you know, when you look at the numbers and look at the races, it makes it really hard to run. And, and it's also, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get tough on them, but the, uh, many of the leaders in the Democratic Party are willing to attack a candidate who runs as a Republican. They're willing to cancel them, take them on personally, try to ruin them. So, I mean, it, you look at the effort in the last city council election. We have a very attractive candidate, sharp young man, successful businessman at a young age, very giving man, someone who volunteers at the jail, takes care of others, a good family man, and and you know, fight with his ideas, but but he was attacked for what he believed in, a, a faith that he grew up with, that he was a Christian man and he grew up in a Christian family. He was attacked by it. I mean, so if you're someone like Barrett Reed, why would you do that? And then you finish and you don't win. He, he ran a great campaign. He was a very attractive candidate. When you don't win, then you get into the massive post-election attack that, that Kristen Stedden went after him. I mean, it was awful for no reason whatsoever. You know, he attacked her policies, which is fair game. He, he attacked the results of what's going on in the city. Again, fair game. He never took her on personally. He never said anything bad about her. He was kind to her as a person. She just went full out to destroy his life. So why would anyone run? I mean, why would you do that? I mean, if that's if that's what happens, why would you why would you run? And knowing that you're sort of sacrificial. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're talking about Barrett Reed, um, you know, and, and uh, he he ran. Now let me let me just push back a little bit on that. Um, that's why you're here. That's why you're a guest. Everything you said is true, right? Everything you said is true. But, but, but <laughs> you're like, oh, here but, comes the journalism thing. But, um, yes, the religion thing was was very blatant. And I would argue that if it were any other religion than Christianity, you probably would not have seen that because people would have been afraid to do that. They would have been afraid of uh, getting pushback from 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 people. So that's true. Uh, uh, Barrett. However, you know, he is a, he is a, a adaptive reuse uh, sort of developer kind of thing. Uh, were there not things that were legitimate to criticize him about for that campaign from your perspective that, oh, yeah, that totally. went hand in hand totally. with the other stuff? Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, yeah, go go straight forward at him. He was he went strong. He had strong beliefs, but he but that he was he was sort of as a uh, as a Christian radical who belonged to a cult. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I, I taught at that that group like yeah. seven or eight times over the years, and you know, pretty far from even a thought of a cult. And that he was a, a massive developer. I mean, you know, and you know, Barrett Reed did takes old buildings and turns them into something beautiful. I mean, yeah. we should be cheering that. We have a lot of old buildings that need to be beautiful in our town. And and you know, his early business, 
when he was in high school was rehabbing cars, refurbishing cars. And he, that's basically what he does now with buildings. He refurbishes buildings. I mean, what a, that's not a bad life. He recycles old things and makes them better. And it's still fine. Attack him for some things. But, but his, who he is as, as a man, his faith, and attacking him for it and calling him really horrible names was just out of line. But the worst part was after the election to go after him that hard and that personally. I mean, when, when, he, when he applied for, for reappointment to the planning commission and yeah. Kristen Stedding laid him out in the meeting, that's what you're talking about, right? Really badly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was part of the cancel culture deal. And so, I mean, so when you look at it, uh, why run? Yeah. So I think, you know, that goes to sort of the bigger issue is, you know, Barrett Reed, when you talk to him, he's, he's a nice guy. And I, you know, I think I know Barrett on a certain level and he's a good guy. Uh, he's, he's very nice. Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, you have to embrace everything he's that comes out of his mouth. He's a, he is a good guy. He's a very nice, genuine person. Is that the best seat for him? Um, why don't the conservatives think about these things deeper and sort of say, you know, Barrett, don't take on Kristen Sneddon. Her name alone, you know, is gold. Um, she's got a lot of positives. It's San Roque. You really can't unseat her. I don't care who you are. Let's look at this other seat where you're going to have more appeal. Are those conversations happening or are they no. not? why not? There's no, there's no, there is no one. Yeah. There, there's no one. You know, the party has a, a party chair, Bobby, and she, she works every year to try to fill, fill the R slots every every year and that's and you can see it's very difficult for her so i mean that's that's where we we become a become a democratic county a democratic city uh the numbers are so big hard to get over and uh and so there there really isn't a republican party you I mean the candidates run are good guys you know andy caldwell he's a, he's a good man he's a hard-working guy i mean you don't want to get in a debate with him, but you know this goes. Uh, you know, and and Mike Stoker, you know, he's a pretty accomplished guy. I mean, he's done a lot of things. He's had a lot of appointments, and 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 you know, he, he's going to go. He he don't want to get in an argument with Mike either. You know, he can go. So if you look across the field, there's not a lot of people out there running and doing that. So is, is everyone, there any everyone I talk to who thinks is thinking about running? And for the last couple of months, I've I've had coffee with more people running for different offices than than, uh, than I, I care to remember. It used to be they'd sneak into my office, and uh, one of my favorites was uh, Helene Schneider came yeah. in and wanted to talk to me, and she's running. And I met all the candidates. She was the last one, and I said, "Hold before you leave. I want to give you a check. I like you." Yeah. And we've lost that. We've lost that. I mean, I really like her. I mean, Greg Hart's been a friend for a long time. Doss and I have been friends for a long time. I, I can call up Doss and ask a question. I can ping him and say, that was a crazy vote and a crazy remark. And he'll think back. Go, yeah, sometimes we, we can't agree on everything. I go, right. yeah, we're still friends. We don't have that anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've lost that. So the, the, the conservatives and Republicans are like, why, why get into that game? Right. And they, it, become, they, become, they come, become independents. Yeah, it's it's become really personal. And before, it's sort of like a chess game, right? Like you kind of appreciate the moves yeah. of your opponent. Like, whoa, that was a good one. You're going to come back with this. And at the end of the day, you develop respect for your opponents over time, like a Doss or a Helene, you know. 
Uh, but now there's this tendency, okay, I lost, I'm going to tip the table over, I'm going to show you why you were using the wrong pieces in the first place, and you shouldn't want. And so that's sort of what makes it really, really difficult for a lot of people. You know, I, it, the Democrats, they work with UCSB, they have a strong connection, and you get a regular rotation of young liberal activists right. coming through there. And they're part of the, the young progressives, the, the next generation of Democrats. I know there has to be, right? There have to be like Young America's Foundation or, you know, conservative students at UCSB. I see them at Santa Barbara City College. They're not the dominant, but they are there. Um, yeah. is, is there not a way to sort of, hey, we're going to start tabling out there or we're going to go to those groups and we're going to start having conversations to get them to be involved? Or is that just not part of the... It just, it just is not what's happening anymore. There was at one time. I mean, if you, if you think back, you know, we had a Republican member of Congress from here for a long, long time. We had uh, uh, Republican state office holders from here, and they're just not there. So if you, if you think about it, usually it's one of the top office holders that becomes part of the, the rally and getting people organized and making something happen. Okay. And that just, you know, there's a cult of personality, you know, Gary Howard, Jack Lucado, uh, that does it in on the... Republican side, you know, we've had we've had some good folks at that level, but they're not they're not that person like Brooks Firestone. Yeah, right. You know, you mentioned Doss Williams. You mentioned Helene Schneider. Yeah, as just she's an incredible person to talk to and deal with. And we we disagreed. Uh, Her blue line thing was like, you know, she she did it. I pinged her and said, "Really, really?" I said, "You know, we have to. Some of us got to go hard at this." She goes, "Yeah." So I helped bring together a group with the taxpayers and others and a couple of my clients to sue for property that they were damaging the property rights. My, my deal was two things. One is if you do the blue line, it's going to be underwater, then I'm not paying any property tax because the value of my property is zero. Yeah. And, or second, that because you're doing this, you're lowering the value of my property. And that's what happened. And we, we actually get to talk about that every once in a while. <laughs> Again, I just saw her recently, we laughed at one another about it. And then yeah. before that, you know, we had Harriet Miller mm-hmm. and, you know, and I ran a couple campaigns against Harriet and beat her. And then Harriet and I became fast friends. She, in fact, asked me to help put together her retirement party and to MC it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we became really good friends. I respect the heck out of that woman. I mean, I could not disagree with her more on many issues, but, but she was a human who was really interesting, hardworking. And man, what... What a figure in this community. I mean, into her 80s, she's, she's going to paradise after council meetings and sitting there for a couple hours, you know, knocking down some drinks and talking with everyone. I mean, we just, you don't see that much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that ability to sort of separate, you know, I live my life this way, you live your life this way, but that doesn't mean that we can't get along or that you're oh. not a good person and I can't help you and support you. We don't see much of that anymore. Greg Hart is another. I, I will tell you, you just about say it. The, you know, Greg and Doss still have that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they they they're they're congenial people, and you can have an incredible conversation with them. And they do that with a lot of people. And uh, and you know, I like I like the relationship that I can have with someone like that. Exactly. So let's talk about Greg Hart. He's running for assembly. You know, for years, 
he had wanted to run for higher office. Uh, he cut some deals with the party for him to wait, step aside. Now it's his time, right? This is it. Oh, yeah. He's going to run. Uh, you like Greg. Greg's super smart guy. You know, in many ways, Greg could be, like, he, if, if things had played out differently, he might have been on the other side. You know, he, could, he can argue both politics really well. Yeah. Uh, he's taking on Mike Stoker. What's your assessment of this assembly race? Well, it, it all starts with the numbers. Yeah. You know, politics is numbers. And uh, the 37th Assembly District is 18% advantage for Democrats. And so Mike Stoker runs the best campaign in history. He gets out there, he tells his story, he raises enough money to really shake, shake Greg and run after him. He, he's got to move 18%. So he's got to get uh, a big, he's got to get a big majority of the Republicans. You know, he's got to get 80, 90%. Yeah. And then he's got to get 30, 40% of the Democrats. And that's that's a pretty that's a pretty tough tough mountain to climb. Now, you know, when, when Brooke Firestone ran for state assembly, it was like twelve points, and I did his campaign, and we uh, we we had ninety three percent of the Republicans going into the race because he's Brooks Firestone. Yeah, so we knew we had that. The entire campaign, one point eight million dollars to be spent was focused on winning 35% of the Democrats. I mean, think about that. I want to get our goals 35%. So let's, let's, let's lose 65, 35. And we only walked, we only called, we only mailed, and we only targeted Democrats. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, today it would be so much easier with digital. You can do, you can target in, in a stronger way. But you think about that, and we got more than 35%. And, and, but he held his Republicans. We didn't have to do it. So the strategy was very unique. And that's, I mean, that's what Mike needs to do. Number one, he's got to get up to the 85, 90% with the Republicans. And that's hard these days because when you, when you try to keep your party happy, you got to, you got to push yourself to the edge. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you see in a lot of Democratic races here because they got to get really to the edge. And to get 35%, you got to get soft, <laughs> right? right. Yeah. You, think, you think about it, you got to get hard at And then on the other side to get the Democrats, you have to soften up a little bit. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. But you know, if you're looking for a tiger to run and, yeah. and raise some hell and, and Sacramento loves that there's competitive races all over the state um, for both sides. Cause if, if Greg didn't have a race, the uh, the Democrats wouldn't have to spend any money here. Greg would become a fundraising machine for other races. So they want to keep a guy like Greg busy. Right. I see. Yeah. Um, and what about Andrew Firestone? Um, is he the heir apparent? I mean, I'm certain if Andrew Firestone ran for a county office, he'd be very formidable. Uh, are we ever going to see the next generation of Firestone? <laughs> I Well, definitely Andrew. Okay. If there is going to be one. It may jump a generation, maybe some of his kids, but Andrew, I think has had, uh, had the bug, you know, as did Brooks, but you know, Brooks didn't run until later in life. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about Brooks is I worked with Jack O'Connell in 1982 in his campaign. And that campaign was against Brooks Firestone. And so that's my democratic credentials back when I was a Democrat, by the way, you know, there's a certain point in life, you got to switch. 
gosh, we'll talk. Okay. You know, remember, remember what they say, you know, when you're, when you're young mm-hmm. and, and, and you're a liberal, you got to be a liberal. Cause if you're not a liberal, when you're young, you have no heart. And then as you get older, if you're not a conservative, you have no brains. I mean, yeah. There's some famous quotes on that, maybe Winston Churchill, but uh, so I became friends with Brooks. He had, you know, right after that campaign, we won by a massive amount. It was a landslide. We won by about half of voter precinct. And, uh, and and Brooks reached out to me, and that was also changing my worldview a lot, looking at things and how we deal with people and take care of things. But I became a Republican, and then I ran Brooks's campaign after that. Yeah. So that was that was quite quite the switch. And then again, there's Brooks Firestone. He reached out to the guy working on the other side, yeah. and has a conversation. I mean, now you'd spit at me if you walked down the street, <laughs> right? I mean, you can't, yeah. I mean, think about the leaders of the Democratic Party, and I'm not going to mention the names. I mean, if I walked in the room, they may walk out. Yeah. Yeah, it might be tough to get them to say nice things about you in public, but they uh, definitely would respect you privately and fear, you know, uh-oh, John Davies is working with that candidate. That means they're, it's a different level. So, so there's that. I want to talk to you about uh, some of the other seats. You have the Santa Barbara County uh, Office of Education seat, and Christy Lozano. She got some national attention on Fox News. She did an interview. She's a teacher. She talked about some issues she has with the curriculum in Santa Barbara Unified School District. Is that a competitive seat at all, or is that I, is that like Hart Stoker? Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. I think it's number one. It's it's nonpartisan, and I think Christy's nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. They they both signed the agreement not to raise over the raise and spend over 150 something thousand dollars. Yeah. So now it comes out who can come up with the right message. Because yeah. I don't think, you know, as an incumbent that she has any name ID. I don't think the incumbent has any name ID. Yeah. You know, uh Bill Cerrone, you know, held that office and right. he was everywhere all the time. I love Bill's radio. I love Bill. He's another guy that I was really close to I served on his board but Bill was everywhere I mean talk about a crazy deal he had his own he had his own radio shows he would do in with that New York accent Bronx yeah. accent awesome. right. yeah <laughs> and then he uh, and then you know he's in every newspaper with a column right. I mean, Susan's not done that yeah you know and so I think I think this could be one of the more uh, more interesting races and it depends uh, who Christie gets to do her campaign and you know are we are we going to get off in neverland talking about things no one cares about i mean mm-hmm. and i have a feeling that's possible well you can't really talk about those national issues here um it doesn't play well right you need to no it's not no. true it's really no. interesting josh only that i've done over the last few months here on a lot of issues the the democrats as candidates and as a party are very popular as you as we see mm-hmm. the issues are just the opposite. A lot of the issues, and there's frustration with what the state has done, frustration with the lack of water development in the state, frustration with uh, with spending, uh, frustration with taxes. I mean, every, every issue that you talk about, which is a lot of the national trend right now too, are all Republican issues. And But look what happened in the recall. I mean, all the issues statewide were totally against Gavin Newsom. But when it came down to it, you know, if you don't, if you don't elect Gavin or you don't, if you recall Gavin, you're going to get Donald Trump. I mean, that's the, 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 the great call now is uh, 
Donald Trump is a boogeyman. And so, but the issues, you know, education, parents' rights with education. I mean, Christie's got, she's got a great platform if she does it to go forward with. I mean, you saw what happened in, uh, in Virginia with Yunkin. I mean, his platform was pretty darn simple. You know, it was, it was a lot to do with parents' rights. Parents are frustrated with what happened. And, and you know, Santa Barbara being at the top of the poverty list of counties, I mean, we could talk about that for, you know, how does that happen? Right. Like, literally, how does that happen? And, and so we're at the top of the poverty list. We lock down our schools and we do nothing to help the kids. Mm-hmm. So our church, my wife being one of the volunteers, took in as a learning center, 30 kids, 40 kids a day to get them. So we got them devices, we got them online and we helped them do their, do their work. And so we had a bunch of tutors, you know, lots of people so the, the kids could have a lot of attention. And, and, you know, they watched the classes and like, oh my gosh, that was horrible. These four kids were sitting out in front of the Franklin Center with a five generation old iPhone trying to get Wi-Fi, or they stood out in front of restaurants trying to get Wi-Fi to do their homework. I mean, this is second, third graders, kindergartners trying to do it, and their parents are working two jobs each, and they have no place to turn. I mean, what, what happened to us? I mean, why did why didn't we just let that happen without fixing it? Where were, I mean, I love the teachers. She had a great profession, but how do you allow that to happen? These kids learn nothing if they didn't have someone there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it. And that'll that'll scar them for life. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting getting a slow start. If you look at something like Storyteller, which the entire goal is to get homeless kids started in kindergarten well. And so what we just did is we we closed the schools and we went online. And if you don't have, if you're not wealthy enough to have the right devices and have internet, yeah, sorry, you can't go to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, w- I just went through that with, with my kid for, for two years and that's, you know, we were happy she could take off the mask a couple of weeks ago. Oh, <laughs> One thing on the Christy Lozano, is there any credibility that, do you know anything about this lawsuit about whether she's qualified to run or not? Um, I heard about it before she ran uh-huh. that there might be an issue. I, I, I actually had coffee with her. She was one of my coffees uh-huh. and James and she, uh, she said she has the right credentials. Okay. And I think the question is, does she have the credentials, the right credentials, which I believe is yes. And secondly, has she worked in that, that area And the answer there? I don't know. And so, uh-huh. You know, what, what should, but by the way, do you, you know what she did? Did you watch her video? Um, I've not watched her video. No. Okay, so when you, what, here's what she did in the video, why it made national news, why she got in Laura Ingram. She went into a password protected teachers only part of the, the Santa Barbara school district website, which was stacked with what you could term critical race theory and, and, uh, uh, obvious sex education that was way beyond what it should be. And she did it online and unpacked it in front of everyone. Okay, yeah. So everyone so, can see it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, well, first off, why is there, why is there a curriculum for teachers that, that parents aren't allowed to see? Mm-hmm. Why is it password protected, deep mm-hmm. buried in the bowels of the basement? I mean, I mean come on. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think she has some credibility. That took, that took some nerve to be able to go do that. Yeah. So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Democratic Party. You don't have to name names. I will. I'll lay it out there, sort of my perspective. But 
Duraka Laramore Hall. I have a lot of respect for him. We don't have to agree here. I think he's smart. I think he's brilliant. He's 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 well researched. He knows his stuff, and and yeah. he's 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 sharp. Uh, probably you know definitely my favorite Democrat to talk to in the party. Okay, he's yeah. great. Um, he went off and did some stuff on the statewide, and he started to not be involved in the local party stuff as much. And so they had Gail Teton Landis, and now they have Darcel in charge. And to me, it's sort of interesting. The party to me does not seem as strong as it was, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. And Duraco was criticized for kind of pushing out a lot of the old timers, you know, who were in the party and bringing in the young activists. And it was like, oh, you guys are just trying to be kingmakers and you don't want to play along, get along with anybody. And as you know, Duraco, he's really not interested in getting along with people he doesn't agree with politically. Yeah. Uh, but then now he's gone and now we've got like, we have the second district uh, supervisor race, you know, Greg's leaving, Laura Caps is running for it. Uh, you know, they tried privately behind, not even privately, everyone knew to get someone to run, um, you know, against Laura, because Laura was not like their favorite candidate because of challenge DOS for first district. And they couldn't get anyone, right? They got, they tried to get Luce Reyes Martin to run, uh, um, you know, Galita, uh, and she chose not to run. So now they they endorsed her and they sort of like, you know, embraced her. And now they're, they're with Laura. Um, even though Jonathan Abood was like, oh, maybe I'll run, you know, like all these, it seems like it's pretty scattered and very different. The party to me feels as though it is kind of losing a little bit of the control that it mm -hmm. had. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. What is the future of them from your perspective? Do you see them as, growing in clout, growing in power, or do you see them as uh, sort of regressing here? Well, it, you, you got you to gotta remember that the old saying, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. They've had absolute power, hmm. and, and then you get cocky, yeah. and they have good reason because you know, they, they own the numbers, and they have a great machine. So Draka is really a bright guy. I totally agree with you. And, and he, he makes great thoughts and great decisions. He's, you know, to run, to run a party and to run a massive ahead majority party where everyone wants to be boss, you got, you got to be able to kick some butt and, and keep, keep them blind. I mean, they, he has a huge challenge. And that's why I think he, things went really well. He picked his candidates. He made sure things happened. I think he, I think picking the candidates a little too much has been a problem because we're not having competitive races. Yeah, I mean, just think about it. I mean, is that good for democracy? It's not. It's not good for the candidates. It's not good to be to to walk into office and not have had a race. Right. At least one. I mean, I, I think Joyce Dudley had a very competitive first race. Very competitive, and it was tough. It was ugly. It was bare knuckles, and. Uh, you know, she is, she's one of my favorite people. I introduced her recently at an event is California's greatest district attorney. I mean, she is so respected around the state. Mm -hmm. And, but I think that defined who she was. It toughened her up. It got her to be strong, but it also got her to look at all sides of the issues. She couldn't just knee jerk to what she believed. She had to think about the whole county and that made her a better DA. So is, is Laura Capps going to be a better supervisor for running on, 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 with without anyone else with her. I mean, I don't think it helped Greg. I think Greg running for state assembly 
he'd have a lot better race if he had run and had may might be higher I mean, the, he, your greatest favorite, he's a Democrat. He's got a D. He, he's a good man. He has people say good things, but he hasn't run for a long, long time. So, and, but of course, Laura Capps has run. And uh, when she lived in the first district, which now she lives in the second district, and it's, it's a, you know, she could have run for the third, but I don't, I think that's in two years. But I mean, Laura, Laura, Laura says she doesn't want to climb up in politics, but really? <laughs> You know, I think she does. And, you know, what a great name to run. I, I really credit uh, Doss Williams running a great campaign against her two years ago yeah. to hold that seat and to make it happen. But, what, you know. Let me ask you, this. Oh, that's a good point, John, right? Doss Williams. What do you make of this anti-Doss Montecito group? Um, is it representative of, like, all of Montecito? Is it just a small group related to cannabis? You and I know DOS, right? I mean, DOS is, people say all kinds of things about DOS. Most of the time they're wrong, right? They don't understand him. He, he's really, really strategic, really smart, really intelligent. He, his story is true. You know, he did grow up poor and go through a lot of stuff. You don't have to agree with him to, or even like him. But, I mean, is DOS... I mean, what's the deal with these Montecito people who are like actively like hating on him all the time? It's a, I know it, it's such an odd thing, right? I mean, he won hands down. It yeah. wasn't, it wasn't. So they, and they were, they were behind Laura. They were pushing against us. The, the best night and day of Laura's campaign against us was in Montecito, the Montecito Journal candidates forum. Yeah. And, and and she did really well. He was a little stunned and the crowd was definitely on her side. But that, I mean, every other day belonged to Doss. I mean, the deal is Doss, Doss can just get to some people. He He's he's not cocky, but he's sort of, he's got a nice confidence to him. You know, when, when I meet with Doss and talk about something and uh, I mean, we just had the Westmont president's breakfast and, and, and Doss sat at my table. I wanted him to make sure he got there to see Michael Lewis. I mean, we talk. I mean, he's, he listens. He's inquisitive. I mean, he's exactly what you want in an office holder. And he doesn't knee jerk on everything. I mean, he is, you know, Darcel works for him. She's the party leader. So, I mean, he's definitely at the top of the game there. But he, you know, he's not a guy that's going to just knee jerk on every issue. He's going to have a conversation. He'll fight with you. I mean, he's one of my favorite people to meet right. with the debate. I mean, he's, he's fun. So I, I, I really truly don't get it. And the cannabis stuff, I mean, I, I think cannabis stuff was way overblown. And from the beginning, my deal was everyone was let the market take care of it. I mean, let all these people go out and do the cannabis stuff when, when the illegal people don't stop all over, all over the Western United States, they don't stop producing and the legal comes on and we're giving it out, there's not going to be that big of an increase in usage. And that's what happened. The prices dropped like a rock. You know, the revenue's not coming, not because they're not producing, it's because the price is down. So cannabis, cannabis is somewhat of a dead issue. And when, when the entire country legalizes cannabis and it can cross state lines, it's totally over. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, we don't, we're not, we're going to have to, you know, I know there's been a talk, California, Santa Barbara, Sunshine, uh, cannabis and grown cannabis is supposed to be a deal. It's like it's a silly issue to fight about, right? 
It, yeah, car- by the way, carpenteria, uh-huh. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I mean, the odor issues. The yeah. odor is a serious issue. Yeah. Yeah, I was driving, we were driving through there this week and, um, <clears throat> Yeah, I could smell it yeah, <laughs> from I mean, Highway 101. It's, yeah. like, it's like who let the skunks out? Yeah. You know, it's like unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a serious issue that needs to be dealt with. But you know, I, I look, I look at the state that I moved to when I was 25 years old, 24, 25 years old, just turning 25. Uh, that we had such promise and was such a great state. Right now, uh, California has the highest the highest taxes in every, every possible way, we have the highest taxes. We have the, we have the highest poverty rate. We have, our, our, we have the poor schools. I mean, our schools are at the bottom third of the nation and they're funded. We, we have the highest homeless problems. And, and, and what, what that comes out of is a one party system where there's no one fighting, no one pushing. And you just, I mean, that, is, that what, is that what the Democratic party wants to be known for? We, we own everything. We own all the state offices. We own the assembly and the Senate. And, and we have the highest taxes. We have surplus revenue, but we can't, we can't deal with the poverty level. We can't deal with the homelessness, but we can surely get more tax revenue. We can tax people more and more and more. I mean, it's, it's, not, a, and it's, not, it's not a good record and scary, including you look around Santa Barbara, we have some of the same issues. We're, we have the highest poverty rate in the state in a state that has the po- highest poverty rate in the nation. Look at our s- public schools. We have a lot of dedicated teachers and our schools are not performing. Yeah. I mean, we, we invested when we didn't have money to send our kids to private schools from preschool to all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and every time we thought about at a certain level pulling them out at the end of grade school, you know, the, the data would come out. It's like, nope. No, I, I don't I don't want to ruin my kids' chances on a good start. You know, how do we get them to start with great education, learning how to be critical thinkers and 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 learning how to be a rebel without being a troublemaker? Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. Not everyone can afford uh no. independent school, but I will say that you know uh, what you can afford is active parental engagement whatever your parental situation looks like uh, you, you know you, you you don't i just have never felt like you can expect the schools to be educator and parent you've you've got to do your role and if your kid is in a school that's not great well it's up to you um, as parents or guardians or you know whoever's in that household to take responsibility for uh supplementing that and putting yeah, it absolutely but I me mean, josh you know I me mean, you're you're equivalently working three jobs yeah yeah i mean so so on the side you're also going to be uh you got to be an advocate for your kids but i mean how how does and you, and you work intellectual jobs that yeah. no one's no one's checking you in and checking you out other than teaching you got to show up on time yeah. but but you have the opportunity to go to the schools and ask questions yeah. and deal with there's a lot of people that can't i mean just right. to lock down did, did anyone think about all these families that don't have uh internet connection don't have enough computers i mean I, with uh with steve ainsley when he was uh the publisher of the news press we started computers for families yeah. and really kicked it up and i mean talk about i mean what would happen if that wasn't around, you know, they hadn't gotten into a lot of the homes. Hey, John, I want to talk a little bit about you. You know, I've always known you as sort of this 
wise man who was knowledgeable about things. And if you got something wrong, he definitely was going to let you know. And, you know, even a couple of years ago, you know, pushing back on articles and, you know, angles and slants, you know, from your perspective. And I've always known you as sort of this very smart, strong, formidable individual who is in charge of everything you do really well. Uh, take me back to young John Davies <laughs> and, you know, what were you, how did you get your start? How did you find this sort of situation that you're in professionally and personally? You, you know, every, everyone's story is sort of funny. I, I, I believe I ended up being an entrepreneur because no one would hire me, but um, <laughs> probably for that very reason, Josh, it's like <laughs> that jerk working for me. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I grew up in upstate New York, you know, uh, you know, sort of a struggling lower middle-class family in a really nice suburban town. So we had, I had the advantage of a great um, education, you know, and, and then thinking of going off to college, I got with my parents and I'm, I'm one of six and, and I was, I'm the second to last and, and the others, both of my parents were married, had two kids, brought them together and had, had me and then my brother. So the others, I didn't understand how they went to college. It wasn't like what we talked about. And, um, and, and a couple of them didn't. And so I go to my parents and say, you know, college thing, I mean, how, you know, how much do we have? Do you have money? Where can we go? What can we afford? I got, I got admitted to some colleges that were private colleges with big, big uh, price tags. And, and they're like, we have no money for your college. We have no way of helping you get into college. And so good luck. I'm like, okay, well, I, I got into these colleges. I got into State University in New York at this little college in West New York called Fredonia. And I never went there. I was recruited for track. And I'm like, I guess I'll go there. And I mean, it was like such a gift. Absolutely incredibly beautiful campus right off Lake Erie, outside of Buffalo. So it's west of Buffalo, between Buffalo and Erie, Pennsylvania. And uh, first, I great, had a great political science department, which is what my interest was. I was going to be an international uh, a lawyer that was, I was going to deal with international law. That was my dream. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Uh, and I had a great track coach who uh, was department chair who just took me under his wing. And a quick story, this is an amazing man. He, uh, so I come to him, I had one of the colleges that was trying to recruit me for wrestling and gave me a little scholarship, come back and give me a huge scholarship. They say, come back, we can do it. We need your weight class. You know, come now, be here for the second semester and you can wrestle next year. We really need you. And I took the letter. I mean, those days, you know, you got a letter and what to my parents and that came to me, you know, so, you know, yes, weeks upon weeks, you think about how crazy that is. And so I took it in with a coach who's going to be my track coach. Uh, you know, a wise man sat in his office. He spent three hours with me talked about pros and cons and it, and we really got to know one another. He, uh, at the end, he said, you know what? As much as I want you to be here, I think you should take it. It's a better education. Wow. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, about two weeks later, three weeks later, he goes, so you all set to go to such and such. And I said, no, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> and he said, why? I said, for the first time in my life, I met someone that I would love to be my mentor, who cares more about me than their interest. And I think that's so valuable that I want, I want to spend a bunch of years with a person like that. And he became a really close friend. 
I ran the intramural sports starting the next year as an as assistant. And then my junior, senior, and graduate school years, I ran intramural sports. I was the assistant coach with him on the track team after I graduated. So really special, special man. So that, that was a game changer. And we had a great political science department. I went to Washington the Washington semester. I worked with the Quakers, the Law of the Sea, I, doing the Law of the Sea Treaty. And I clearly understood I didn't want to be in Washington. So I came out to Santa Barbara to visit my sister. And I got here first time in California. And my brother-in-law picked me up at LAX. And we're driving up the coast. And I'm like, huh. I had two jobs in, in, I was in the Hopper finalist war. One was track coach at Syracuse, track and cross country coach and sports information director. And the other was a, uh, a spinoff of, of, of a group to become a, a common cause on international issues, which is sort of like the law of the sea treaty. And I'm like, I really don't want to go to DC. I don't want to go to Syracuse. And when I'm driving up the coast, I'm like, yeah, I'm taking my name out of those. <laughs> and, and so I settled here in, uh, started doing odd jobs, bartended, got a strange job running the, a group called the Santa Barbara Sailing Academy. And as I was doing that, working out of the guy's studio apartment, that was fun. I made his bed every day and did his dishes to start my, my, uh, my day at work because I couldn't stand to be in the dirty room. <laughs> and then I met the guys at what was then the Santa Barbara College of Law at the, uh, the news press, dropping off some ads. And I ended up going to work for them. I answered phones between 5 a.m. and 10 a.m. because they were a night school and we're, we're advertising in the East Coast. And I ended up doing a, a whole recruitment, brought back a class of 30 or 40, excuse me, from the East Coast. Mm. And I did that, went down the, the, uh, the dean and founder of the school was a bar review lecturer. In, uh, and so I ended up working with the bar review in uh, LA and rose up quickly, fired the guy that oversaw me and then decided I'm going back to Santa Barbara and start my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that's how I got started. I, you know, I did, I did little projects. I tripped and fell. I mean, you know how it is, mm -hmm. Joshua, you, you want, let's get a job. Let's get a job teaching. That would be fun. I'd love to teach. And, you know, I want to do this. So that's, and then it just slowly built and the better people I brought with me, the harder uh, I figured out how to work better and harder. And uh, we grew. And, and, yeah. uh, that resili resiliency, <clears throat> you know, being scrappy, figuring out a way, a path, uh, listening to your instinct, learning from your mistakes, all of that is super important. Where did you bartend, though? I'm trying to imagine John Davies as a bartender. Oh, my gosh. So I bartended for private parties, and I had to stop because <laughs> when when I came back from uh, working the bar review, the Harcourt Bryce B.A.R. Barbary and um, I did private parties and, and so it was great money, you know, cause you got paid a fee and then tips. Yeah. And, uh, but I ran, started running into my clients at the parties and I got a little red jacket on, but uh, it was really fun. Cause I, I have the ability to memorize things. So cocktail party of 30, 40 people after the first round of drinks, I could go out and get everyone their hand them their second drink without being asked. That's magic for a tip, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, when the when your guests are telling you your bartender's amazing, you remembered my drink. Um, but I had, but it was great. And uh, didn't I did the Miramar like a couple nights as a fill-in, but oh, I, uh -huh. I didn't get out in the into the big bars. Mm -hmm. um, we got a couple more minutes here. I want to ask you about your faith. You're a man of faith. You're uh, Christian, and can you just talk to me about? 
how that came to be? Were you raised in a Christian household or did you just come to it on your own? And how does that navigate what you do? And, you know, you are in PR, you sometimes have to get harsh. Sometimes you have to get mean. You have to tell company stories when you're doing campaigns. That's fierce. Can you talk to me a little about sort of that, how you reconcile all that too? Sure. Uh, that, that, that's a really good question, a tough question. So uh, I, I, I didn't grow up in, in uh, a family of great faith. I grew up in a Catholic family that went, my mom went to, went to church. We all went to church with her. Uh, there's a point in my life that I thought I would be a priest, mm-hmm. and uh, which is really interesting because the reason I didn't is I didn't think I could. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family. And when I turned 40 and wasn't married, I started thinking maybe I should have been the priest. You know, I could have done it. <laughs> I could have done it at least to 40. Uh, but so I, I became a Christian in uh, between my junior and senior year of high school. And it, at a fellowship of Christian athletes camp at, at Holy Cross. And it was, uh, it was the, uh, the moment where God became real to me. And it, it was a personal relationship. And that was a game changer for me from what I was doing as a Catholic, which was great. And there, I mean, I went to church in the morning. I was there with, uh, you know, 30 old ladies and John, you know, I'd go, go to church as a, as a kid in the morning, but, but, you know, having a personal relationship with God was really good and great. And of course, you know, I sidestepped and sort of backtracked and went away through my college years. And, uh, you know, flirted back and forth with it over the years. And when Mina and I got married, it was almost like we were both in the same place that we wanted, we wanted to find our faith again and, you know, starting a family. And that's, and that's what we did. And so, I mean, right now it's, uh, it, it's just who I am and what I do. And so when I have to do something, you know, uh, first off, you know, I don't think, I don't think Jesus was a, a softball player. I mean, he's, you know, Jesus is pretty tough. In, you know, read the Bible. The, the, red, the red words in the Bible aren't always sweet words. They're, they're strong rebuffs. And they're, you know, it's like just the, the woman bringing, bringing the woman to, uh, to Jesus and saying, you know, uh, accuser, she needs to be struck dead and stoned to death. And, uh, and Jesus standing there and said, those among you who without sin throw the first stone. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, I mean, and 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 I I really believe in that, but I don't I don't think I have conflicts very often, yeah. and when I do, you know, it, it keeps me up at night. I have to deal with it, and when it does, I I hope that I make the right decision. I believe that I do. Yeah. Um, you know, Santa Barbara has a very rich Christian community. You know, we have we have some amazing churches, uh, we have some amazing Christian leaders, and, and a lot of amazing things happening here. And you know that's probably one of the things why the what happened to Rob Dayton and and the attempt at Barrett was so frustrating to me. It's like there's no reason to call the Believers Edge, whose number one deal was to help men, you know, be better men, to be better better husbands, to love their wives, to love their kids, spend time, you know, to to think about uh, how they behave and what they do, you know, to to break addictions. And uh, and then their their program was to go to the jail and help people in jail do the same. So it's it, it was it was sort of sad. And, and you know, I look at I look at the people at the city that led that. Some on the council, some from the staff. And it was it's a really bad dark day for our city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right. Well, John Davies, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I learned a lot and uh, it's just always a pleasure. And I want to sort of just, you know, acknowledge you for all your great work you've done in the community over the years. And, you know, anyone watching who like agrees, doesn't agree, is a Christian, not a Christian, Republican, Democrat, doesn't really matter. You know, what matters is that, you know, if you're in a room with John Davies, and I know this, like, you're going to be kind, you're going to be respectful, you're going to be thoughtful, and you're probably going to try to give some advice uh, that's going to help improve that person's life. And I think that's really what we should be looking at with people, whether we choose to live the same life they would live or not. Um, that doesn't really matter. What matters is this person going to respect you. And uh, my experience yeah. has always been that way, even when you're roasting me. Yeah. I remember that day, John Davies, when you're roasting me at the police and fire <laughs> fundraiser. Oh, <laughs> you oh, probably forgot about that. Oh, no, know? no, it was, it, it was like, it, so I know we're going to go along, but that was truly one of the greatest moments in history of that event is like it was a roast right. and and uh and and and, and dan secord just set you up perfectly he gave you <laughs> you asked him a question and he's like well, i don't know i don't think the roast should really go to that i like it to go to this i don't really like the police and fire it's like, right. oh. <laughs> i mean i'm like oh, this is gonna be great we're gonna have so much fun that was a great event yeah. and uh there, there was uh some people involved in the nonprofit that we did the money through. So it was what the, to those watching this, it was an event to raise money for scholarships for the families of police and fire yeah. through the scholarship foundation. And there's someone that was involved in the scholarship foundation. Didn't, didn't like a Christian man having a role too much. And I was a president of, of their board for two years, vice president for four years. But they didn't like it. And they thought that the event was too political. And it was so far from political. It was what it used to be here, Josh, right? Yeah. You were there. We got together. We got everyone's there. And we laughed at one another. And, yeah. you know, we, we roasted we roasted mostly Democrats yeah. and honored them. And, and you know, Greg, uh, E.F. Falcone, we did Dan Secord. That was really fun because you made, made the event fun. Yeah, <laughs> I read a story about the drama behind the roast. It's such a Josh Molina story to do. It was such a, a dumb story. <laughs> but, but without Dan Secord jumping into it with both feet, it, it wouldn't have been anything. But he just jumped in and gave it to you. So I called him. I called him the, that, that day when it came out in the morning. And, uh, and Dan goes, what do I do? I said, I said, you, you need to go right now. You need to get on your hands and knees and walk to Mike McGrew's office. And you need, and you need to walk to Pat McElroy's office and ask him for forgiveness. And you need to do it from your house on, on the, in the Mesa all the way downtown on your knees. And they need to be bloody and torn. And he, he just started laughing. He goes, I'll get in the car and go see them right now. I said, that'd be good. <laughs> and that was, that was the morning of the event. I really appreciate it. And uh, do you remember what I said as I opened it up? I mean, you, you had five or six jokes directly at me in that oh, event. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't remember. What'd you say? Well, I opened, I opened up and looked around the room and I said, <laughs> there's nothing like a little bit of foot and mouth disease by the person we're honoring today to get this kicked off to be a great, great event. And I go, I see Josh Molina's here. <laughs> and then I just went at you. Yeah. It was very, it was, it was, it was a great night. We raised fifty sixty thousand dollars like five times and uh, it was it was a very very fun event yeah 
Well, again, thanks a lot, John Davies, for oh, your time. Good luck with let's everything. Let's do it again. Let's yeah. do it again. Definitely. Maybe Brock, Brock and I could come on and do, do an event together. Well, I could moderate between you two. That'd be great. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. Right. It would be very fun. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.